This is episode number 358 with Dr. Zach Bush. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Before we kick off this episode, I need to tell you about my brand new book, Purposeful, 10 Steps to Overcoming Fear and Living Your Dream Life. This is an Audible original, which means it's only available on Audible and it's out right now. I'm so excited for this book because one of the common things I get asked is, how do I find my purpose in life? How do I know what my purpose is? And this book teaches you exactly how to uncover and live your purpose. So if you want to live a purposeful life, overcome fear and live your dream life, this is for you. You can get it totally free when you sign up for a free trial with Audible. How cool is that? All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash purposeful. That's P-U-R-P-O-S-E-F-U-L-L to get it in your ears today. I also have some purposeful bonuses that you can get your hands on. I'm so excited for you to hear this book and cannot wait to hear your thoughts. So for this week only, if you rate and review the book on Audible, I will send you free access to my Manifestation Masterclass. All you need to do is send a screenshot of your review to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I will send that over to you straight away. Enjoy Purposeful. Dr. Zach Bush is a physician specializing in endocrinology and hospice care. He is an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome as it relates to health, disease, and food systems. He is also the founder of Seraphic Group and the non-profit Farmers Footprint to develop root cause solutions for human and ecological health. And in today's episode, it is such a goodie. We dive deep and we chat about why you need to pay close attention to our gut health and how our destructive behaviors toward nature have damaged it. We also talk about a simple and free yet very unspoken method to heal our gut, how our response to COVID-19 has been wrong, the best way to boost our immune system against coronavirus, the vitality and resilience of mother nature and how we can collaborate to ensure our species survives, his thoughts on supplements and how humanity avoids solving health problems from the root cause and what we can do about this, how entire industries such as the probiotic market have led us to be fearful of viruses and bacteria, the secret to endless love in your life, plus so much more. This episode is a must listen for everyone because we dive deep into what is going on right now with COVID-19. And so for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 359. 
But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it's a five-star review titled Inspiring from Aroha. And Aroha says, I stumbled upon Melissa after she followed me on Instagram, and I'm so glad she did. Listening to Melissa's beautiful voice on my morning walks is a much-needed boost to my morning routine. Having faced a lifetime of trauma, abuse, and massive lack of boundaries and self-love, Melissa's podcast came into my life when I was finally ready to start my journey to self-healing. Her inspirational words are spoken in a way that is eye-opening without judgment and thought-provoking without being overwhelming. With her, I learn something new every day and have been telling anyone who will listen to check it out. Thank you so much, you beautiful human being. I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, honey. And for anyone who leaves me a review, send me in a screenshot to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I want to gift you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. And if you want to get your hands on my Bursting with Love guided meditation, Leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both and send me a screenshot. And the same deal applies if you rate and review my Audible Purposeful. I'll actually gift you my Manifestation Masterclass totally free. Just email me in your screenshot. And now, without further ado, let's get this conversation started with Dr. Zach Bush. Welcome, Zach. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Today I had hummus toast with sprouts and radish. Oh, yum. Hummus is like one of my all-time favorite foods. So that sounds delicious. It's very important for me to break up my pattern of avocado toast nearly every day. So the hummus has to step in occasionally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am pumped for our conversation. I've wanted to get you on the show for so long. We've finally done it. And one of the main reasons why I really wanted to get you on the show was because people are so confused when it comes to health. There is so much conflicting information out there about gut health and and how to heal our gut. So I want to know how you think that we can heal our gut. I've done so many things over my years to heal my gut. But I want to hear your thoughts because it's such an important piece of the holistic wellness puzzle. So can you tell us why we need to look at gut health and how we can actually heal our gut? Fantastic. Yeah, the journey for me was, you know, 17 years of academic medicine, which certainly developed in me an extraordinary complex model of disease and dysfunctions and drugs to manage these things. And 10 years ago, when I left the academic environment, I was studying chemotherapy at the time and and cancer and also as an endocrinologist treating diabetes and autoimmune disease and lots of things in clinic. And in that journey, I had been convinced that I just needed more and more, you know, education to get more and more minutia to understand how to bring some health to my patients. But after 17 years of that journey, started to kind of really come to terms with the fact that, for example, nobody had ever gotten a, a case of cancer in the history of mankind from a lack of chemotherapy. And so no matter how good I got at developing these drugs, I was never going to be at the root cause of this issue of 
an epidemic of cancer or vulnerability of autoimmunity disease or vulnerability to, you know, pandemic infection, whatever it is. And so in that moment, I began a journey that took me a couple of years to start to just pull my head out of the, the minutia and start to look at the big picture of human health as, as you've described it there being so confusing due to the complexity we've built into it. And over the last 10 years, I've you know, learned a ton from all of my fellow practitioners in my clinic, from acupuncture to energy medicine, to emotional therapies, to water and hydration protocols, to respiratory breathing techniques, to exercise routines, to qigong, to tai chi, like just been pulling from almost every sector you know I can. And I've been blessed with a colleague named William Vitalis, who's our chief of esoteric sciences, is what we call him at our company. And he's traveled the world literally over the last 35 years looking for some of the most unique, you know, opportunities to bring healing into people's lives. And it was helpful that he was not a science major. He was actually a music major and a really intuitive individual. And he had a real nose for genius. And so he would go around the world and find somebody with a new idea or perspective on human health and go explore that with them. And he'd work in all sorts of alternative and, and and kind of integrative health environments to to learn these modalities. And so he's been able to really take me on a much faster journey over the last 10 years of exposing me to many of these modalities. And it's been a joy and a close friendship that's really matured my, my view that had originally been steeped in medicine, was able to take a 30,000 foot view to look at what's been going on for the last 4,000 years to really start to give us, you know, something that we would consider a foundation. The last 40 years of pharmaceutical medicine could hardly be considered a, a foundation of health. We have no idea what we're doing with pharmaceutical drugs. That's why the list at the end of every commercial for a drug has 30 side effects, maybe including, you know, severe illness, hospitalization, or death. And so we've been on this brief journey of, of pharmaceuticalization, chemicalization of human health while we've had a 4,000-year look at you know Chinese medicine, movement techniques, yoga, tai chi, and the rest coming out of those 4,000 years. And so in that journey, I think we were able to look back and, and start to find these fundamental truths that were running through all of these things. And one of them was certainly gut health. And if you've ever grown a garden, this becomes quite obvious that your plants are only going to be as successful as your soil. And, you know, in some ways this isn't obvious because chemical farmers growing 40,000 acre farms are often forgetting that simple reality, just as the physician forgets the simple reality of gut health in their patients. And we start to measure things like blood pressure and cholesterol and inflammatory markers and cancer scans and everything else, thinking that we're measuring something. But in the end, all we're measuring is symptoms of a collapse of health. The soil or the gut health, as they may be, the soil of the, of the ground beneath your feet or the soil within your intestines is a thriving ecosystem that obviously is necessary to deliver the nutrients and water that would then give life to a seed and, and deliver the biophotonic energy that would allow that, that plant to grow into the sprout that would then allow it to start to harness the sun and tie the power of the sun to the soil. In the end, human biology is very similar to that, that oak tree starting to grow out of the ground in that we are a biophotonic biology. We, we create electrons out of food, and that food is only going to produce the electron density or the amount of electron energy based on its own nutrient density and you know, microbiome vitality. And so it's 
this journey into understanding that your soil is literally the root system or supporting the root system of all of your cellular health that starts to bring into a fine point, why is it that health has collapsed so fast in the Western world over the last 20 years? What have we done to the soil? And in, in this journey for me, of course, it started in the human, but we quickly, over a couple of years time, got into the, the soil of chemical farming. And now we can see the whole picture quite clearly that we undermined biologic wellness on the planet when we started to destroy the ecosystem of soil systems. And when we consume those same chemicals through our water and food system, we denude our, our organic soil just as we have of the soils of the earth. And so for that, we now are in this crisis state. So that's kind of how we got here, I think, in a nutshell, and why we, it's so critical that we start to ask these questions of where are we going to go from here? And I'll give you a second to respond to that before diving into you know, the second half of your question, which is what do we do about it? <laughs> yeah, this is huge. And it's often, like you said, it's not something that we look at or we even think about, but it makes so much sense. Like for anyone who is listening who has an at-home garden, you can kind of go, okay, if, my, if I want my plants to thrive, of course, the soil has to be nutrient-dense and rich, and that is the same for our human body. So we can see that over the past 40 years, the soil has been depleted. They're putting so many more chemicals in there, glyphosate, which I want to talk to you about as well, and all these other chemicals, and then we are consuming that. So we know that there's an issue. That is definitely the case, and we can just look at the rise of numbers and cancer and all these diseases. But what can we do about it? Like, how can we reverse it? How can we really heal our gut so that we can thrive and not go down that route of, of those illnesses? The answer is so exciting in that it's fundamentally simple. Implementation can be challenging when our planet is as damaged as it is currently. But the simple answer is increased biodiversity and increased communication within that ecosystem of, of biodiverse species. And I would include the human in that species diversity. And so the human cells have to look, be able to communicate with the microbiome. And that does this on many different levels. Uh, our lab happens to be you know, one of the foremost experts in the area of understanding the relationship of bacteria and fungi in redox chemistry, which is the way in which electrical current is passed through biologic biocellular environments, it works kind of like a, a liquid circuit board, if you will, passaging information to and from cell to cell to keep the communication network going. So we, we specialize in that and have spent a lot of time you know, bringing attention to redox signaling or wireless communication between the cells. There's also quite literally neural connections between the microbiome of your gut and your brain, which is really new data. And it's really exciting that your brain has developed a peripheral nervous system that actually has infiltrated or passed the, the barrier of your gut to extend itself into the milieu of bacteria, fungi, yeast, parasites, protozoa, all of these extraordinary you know, uh, kingdoms are represented in the gut lining and speak directly to these neurons, these afferent neurons that stick out into the gut mucosa to, to listen to the input from the microbiome and to give output as well. I believe there's also probably communication that goes outwards through electrical pulsation and, and afferent and efferent activity, which means uh, kind of output and input from the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve in our body. It, it innervates everything from the back of the throat all the way through the esophagus and stomach. 
to the lungs and and heart rate and all of that on the way down and then into the colon, small intestine, really vast, vast, you know, amount of territory controlled by a single nerve. And it has both input and output channels to it. And it has both the fight or flight state or the sympathetic, parasympathetic rest and digest. And so this nerve, I think, is, you know, constantly, you know, integrating its information stream with this microbiome. And on top of that, the gut is, you know, innervated with direct neural connections back to the brain, not dependent on the vagus nerve. That's going to dictate things like the amount of serotonin and dopamine and other neurotransmitters made in your brain. And so both through the redox chemistry, kind of wireless communication, as well as the direct wiring of your neural system, we know we have this direct communication network now to the microbiome. What that implies is that we we've desperately need to reconnect. If you think about your cell phone for a second, you've got a computer with a transmitter and, and receiver in there that is always capable of taking microwave radiation and turning it into a digital information stream and, and turning that into a voice on the other side of the line. So as long as you're, you're near a wireless communication tower, you can talk to grandma on the other side of the world and you can correlate your schedules and make sure you're updated with your employees and whatever you're doing, you can get that all integrated and you're, you're part of a greater organism called community or humanity. However, if you're larger, further than seven miles from that closest 4G tower or further than 700 meters from your 5G tower, you suddenly lose that wireless communication and you become isolated. And we're now realizing that as we isolate our human experience in the gut, we lose the wireless communication network made by the bacteria and fungi. And that isolation leads to immediate dysfunction. Just as your cell phone stops working to reach anybody, suddenly your calendar can't update, your apps aren't updating, you start to fragment the memory of that 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 isolated self is really manifesting the same things that your isolated cell will when the wireless communication goes down. And so to get that up and running, we need to reintegrate you literally into mother nature. And so our lab has been studying the, the use of fossil soils to do this, where we can extract from you know 60 million years ago an information stream, a wireless communication network that simply hasn't existed on Earth since in regard to its biodiversity and density of information, each bacteria and fungi making a slightly different shape of these carbon snowflakes that, that make this liquid circuit board. And so we can go back that far and say, okay, there's like a really deep integration into ancient intelligence of nature. But we can do it through simpler ways too, in which, you know, if you go out and breathe regularly, different types of ecosystems. I'm a huge fan of ferns. Ferns are one of the most ancient flora on the planet. And they can, dating back many millions of years, They've developed a symbiotic relationship with the microbiome of their, their root systems, their leaves, and everything else. And so if you're walking or jogging through a forest of ferns, and you take the time to swipe your hand beneath the, the leaves of that and breathe that flora that's coming off of that, all of the tiny microorganisms associated with ferns, you're tapping into this ancient intelligence of Mother Earth at that point. If minutes later you're running out through a meadow and you got wildflowers of thousands of species and you're experiencing that, and then by the afternoon or evening you're out barefoot in your garden integrating with soil directly and, and starting to experience vegetables and fruits and, and their seed pods and all of the pollen that they would produce, you can start to see how diverse these ecosystems might be and how they might inform your sinuses, your respiratory tree, and your gut back to some sort of biodiversity. And in, in tapping into that biodiversity, that wireless network comes back on, 
and you become resilient on many levels. And this can really, you know, start with something like brain fog. It's interesting that the first signs of gut deficiency or gut disability is usually neurologic. It's brain fog, it's short-term memory loss, poor sleep quality, poor sex drive, all of these things. And so as we start to think about reintegrating to mother nature, we find some simple steps into reinfusing ourselves with that intelligence or that resilience of, of her design. And it's free. Going outside is free. It, it's, it's not only free, it's almost like filling up your bank account, right? Like you're, you're actually going to get wealthier stepping into that nature. Like you're, it's never going to stop at your microbiome. Nature's going to show you something of her most fundamental truth, which is beauty. And if you have forgotten how stunningly beautiful Mother Nature is around you, you can go out and just look at a pine cone or grab a leaf off the ground and stare into that, that Venus pattern that looks like you know, a river system from 30,000 feet. There's such beauty in, in the micro to the macro of Mother Nature. And that's where I think we start to really start to accumulate that bank account uh, at the soul level where we start to just simply fill back up and we start to find purpose again in the beauty. And I think that's such a nice analogy, the bank account thing, because with Wi-Fi and stress and just modern living, we're constantly withdrawing from our bank, withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. And it's not often that we're depositing back in. And a simple act of just going outside in nature, whenever I go on my walks, I am touching the trees, I hug trees, I pick up leaves, but you've just really inspired me to do that even more. And like I said before, it's free and it's something that we can all do that can really improve our gut microbiome. So what else can we do to heal our gut? Community is a big one, and it's one that we've really made a massive mistake on in, the, in, the, in our response to this current pandemic. This concept of social distancing is not science-based at all. In fact, we have good science saying we should have done the opposite. We should have given each other more hugs. We should have connected at a, at a sensual level more profoundly for the recognition of the collapse and isolation of the human experience and its vulnerabilities that that brought. After decades of spraying billions of pounds of antibiotics into our soil in the form of herbicides or billions of pounds of antibiotics being prescribed in doctor's offices, we have so denuded ourselves of that ecosystem, we've lost that community and we've become vulnerable. A nice study was done looking at the average number of hugs a day, and it was found that for people that were getting seven or more hugs a day, they were, had a 35% less likelihood of having respiratory illness or flu. And so this is a, a profound demonstration that not only are you trying to reconnect the leaves and the pine cones, you need to reconnect the humanity. And in that connection, of course, you're going to gain microbiome. We exude microbiome, skin, breath. You know, we're like this little cloud, kind of like pig pen from Charlie Brown. If I don't know if that's an Australian thing or not, but if you, if you guys are aware of that, but pig pen always had like this cloud of dust around him wherever he walked, and hence his name. And I, that's kind of the literal reality, especially of kids who, and dogs that are kind of you know, going to run around that playground and they're going to get up in nature, whereas the rest of us put on our Nikes and if we're going to touch the soil, we've got rubber gloves on. If, if we go out and, and breathe, it'll be in the context of you know, our cars and off-gassing plastic cubicles and all the, the toxic environment we're in. So the kids and the dogs that have the opportunity to be engaged in nature are going to have this beautiful complexity of the ecosystem in and around them. And you can see animals doing this. Animals know how to swap microbiome very effectively. 
If you've ever had dogs and cats living in the same home, it's very typical that dog will go after the, the cat's litter to after that feces to, to eat. That dog has a sense of the microbiome complexity of another you know, fecal transplant. And it's almost bizarre now that we find that one of the most important therapeutic discoveries of the last 10 years was fecal transplant as a critical solution to invasive bacterial infections. The answer is not antibiotics, it's more bacteria. You know, the answer to, to a weed is not a weed killer, it's more biodiversity. It's, it's more plant life, it's more, more you know, cover crops and all of this. And so what, with this isolation that we've done in response to a pandemic that may or may not have been completely erroneously placed in the first place, our, our whole response has been the opposite of what the science is now telling us, is we need to reintegrate at that moment instead of withdrawing to our homes, hiding away from each other, fearing each other, masking up so we don't breathe each other's biome always wearing a mask that you're reinforcing your own biome instead of letting new microbiome really settle into the, that respiratory tree and sinuses and all that. So if you're wearing a mask every time you go out, you've lost that fundamental connection to nature and you're ultimately becoming more isolated and therefore far more vulnerable to future disease. I strongly believe that we're going to get a narrative from Western medicine and the regulatory powers that be over the next year that, oh my gosh, Flu season's even worse this year. COVID season next year is even worse or whatever it is. We're going to get these stories worsening, worsening, trying to put us in this fair paradigm when it's our very response to these things that have made everything worse. And one of those obvious ones is the literal spraying of carcinogenic herbicides and, and insecticides into the air around us, trying to kill viruses, which are not even living organisms. They're just, you know, envelopes of genetic material that are floating around in the atmosphere there they can't be killed they can be damaged by sunlight and things like that but it's ridiculous to think we're going to go out there and sterilize the environment around us to any kind of benefit we can only do more harm and we've, i've got picture after picture now of fire trucks being repurposed to spray chemicals down the streets of south korea or italy or u.s they've repurposed the spraying trucks that we spray chemicals into farm fields onto roadways and spraying town size and, and you know downtown municipalities with these chemicals that we know are carcinogenic that we know are are fundamentally disrupting biology at, at levels far deeper than even the microbiome and so our response has been to up the ante of our warfare against nature instead of realizing this was our call to action this was our call to reunite with that nature before we make everything that we know extinct and we've only got a few decades to change that mentality and I think we are about to miss the opportunity for a massive transformation event around this pandemic because we're so close to just adopting the warfare mentality and saying, well, if we could just develop a vaccine, then we would be safe from this thing. Antibodies don't actually fight viruses. Antibodies bring balance to the proteins produced by viruses, but they don't fight viruses often the same way we think they do. We're starting to learn that the body is supposed to be full of viruses. My body has 10 to the 15th viruses in it right now. The bloodstream is full of it. My, my stool has 10 to the 15 viruses in it. I'm just steeped in viral genetics all of the time, and my body is healthier for it. I'm actually an adaptive machine for all of that genetic input. And so we have this broken, old, antiquated belief that the human immune system is battling out you know, a little bit of territory for human cells to thrive. It's the opposite. The human immune system is figuring out relationship within the community of that microbiome. 
until we realize that we have the wrong model of human immunity, we have the wrong model of viruses in the microbiome, they have never attacked us. With 10 to the 31 viruses, that's 10 million times more viruses in the air around us than our stars in the entire universe. That's 10 million times 10,000 times more than grains of sand on the planet right now are viruses in the air you're breathing. And so it's such a staggering number. There's literally no other number that kind of gets at this physical density or physical variety of, of viruses in the air. And then you turn to the ocean water, find out there's another 10 to the 31 viruses there. Then you turn to the soil to find out there's 10 to the 30 viruses in the soil. And so we are literally just surrounded by this genomic information. And if there's 10 to the 31 viruses in the air, what's the likelihood that one virus called COVID-19 came along this year to cause some tragic event? We are damning a virus that is simply in the environment and it's exposing human vulnerability to death and disease because of the dysfunction within our bodies, not because the virus is somehow horribly pathogenic or attacking us or anything like this. I've got full goosebumps. This is, wow, 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 wow. So if you could wave a magic wand, what would you ideally love everybody to do? Instead of staying at home and wearing masks, what do you think the best thing for people to do is? Immediately engage nature, immediately engage one another. And so start having hikes with your closest friends, family, and more importantly, perhaps distant friends or new acquaintances, because you want new microbiome experience. And so if your municipality is saying, hey, you can only hike with you know 10 people, then go hike with 10 people every day. And instead of going to your boardrooms to have meetings, make sure your boardrooms are out in the ocean on your surfboards. Make sure that you're on a hiking trail. Take it out there into the world around you, and you're going to find an opportunity to reinforce this. And you're going to make such different decisions, won't you? If your board meeting is out in the, at the first break, you're going to have a different perspective on the product you're making, the supply chain you use, the, the waste that's in your, in your post-production line. The, the marketing that you use to entice consumers to buy your product. We would just think so vastly differently if we were sitting quietly in a group in the middle of a field of wildflowers at that moment. And it's for the lack of that kind of spiritual connection and information intelligence of nature that we make the, the incredibly short-sighted decisions that we do. It's why we choose comfort over you know reconnection in nature. It's why we're happy to sit in a drugged up state in front of Netflix instead of staring up at the stars under with firelight and a fire crackling you know next to us we have forgotten literally the miraculous nature of, of being human and for that lack of connection for that lack of awareness we're dying and we're going extinct and the biology is very clear now we've got maybe six eight at the most 10 decades left, 60 to 100 years left of human existence is currently where we're headed. And I am so confident we can change that direction. We can change that course if we will re-engage. That mother nature is so freaking graceful. She's so full of mercy, so full of grace that she will deliver the solutions that we need to, to reverse and in fact bless the injuries that we have caused in our, in our misperceptions. She heals faster and more intensely then we can even damage her. Mm, she's magical, that's for sure. Magical just triggered something in my head. You know, the, the interesting thing that we see when I, because it's hard to believe that she heals faster than we destroy her because we've done so much damage in the last 30, 30 years. 
we've you know eliminated some 50% of life on earth just maybe over the last four decades. And that's accelerating. We're losing maybe one species every 20 minutes now. And, and so it's just this astounding amount of damage. And it's hard to believe that Mother Nature could be more vigorous than that damage. But when we look back through five previous extinction events on Earth, she doesn't ever struggle back to some previous normal. She never tries to work for millions of years to recreate the dinosaurs that, that strove around the Earth you know, right before the last extinction. She instead always responds with more biodiversity and more intelligence with each recovery. And so there's something interesting in that that's actually embedded in the virome. The viruses are the, the code of adaptation and biodiversification. We would not have the biodiversity of human biology, for example, without the viruses Im- Im- embedding this intelligence and updating our intelligence of, of the genome all of the time. More than 50% of the genes in the human genome, 20,000 genes, already 50% of those have been mapped directly back to a direct insertion of viruses. More than 8% are already recognized to have been inserted directly by retroviruses like HIV. And so again, we've, we've created these horrific stories about retroviruses from ticks or from bloodborne sexual contact and all of this, when in fact those retroviruses are one of the primary mechanisms by which the virome updates our genomics. What leads to these explosions, like you said, the magical effect of Mother Nature, is this, this incredible record of adaptation and capacity for new loopholes of, of creativity, and new opportunities for wormholes of, of truth to explode from, from the surface of the planet, is through the record of the virome that increases its, its, its volume of, or tenor of, of kind of genomic scream as the extinction event comes on. So as you put a species under pressure, whether it be human or bacteria in the soil, it starts to have to put out more and more viruses. It has to start doing more and more errors, if you will, in the, in the coding of, of its replication at the genetic level. And in that, it creates variants. And in that variation, we see more and more opportunity for a gain of function. You've heard about these, these you know, conspiracy theories that maybe this was a gain of function virus, this COVID-19. It was some clandestine lab a level four lab in Wuhan, and they were studying gain of function. Labs all over the world are trying to do gain of function experiments in in viruses, no question. However, they are not nearly as capable of doing gain of function as Mother Nature has been for four billion years. She took a rock floating in space and turned it into the vibrant beauty that you see around her today. Talk about gain of function. She knows how to create from nothing. She knows how to magically manifest life within her and around her, and she does it through the viruses. And so it's just so fascinating to me that the thing that brings you know, humanity and all of our explosive you know, momentum of destruction and consumption to its knees is the fear of a virus. I think it's the most misplaced fear that's ever existed. But on the other hand, isn't that kind of poetic that Mother Nature would see the need to halt human behavior, and she would utilize our own insecurity, which is we're under attack and we need to fight back. She would use that fear to, to play into to her needs, and she needs a pause. She needed this moment of human silence. And if we don't take the opportunity to now respect her needs and respect the, what she needs us to do alongside her, we're going to miss it, and, and we'll, we'll expand back out in the energy field as we go extinct, and that's okay. Mother Earth will, will, will 
recover in more vigorous and an extraordinary adaptation because under that extinction event, we will have participated in a, in a genomic record that's more complex and leads to more adaptive capacity for planet Earth as it recovers from our extinction event. The good news is our extinction event is going to be shorter lived than many of the ones in history, I believe, if we, if we stop soon. So whether we disappear soon or if we actually change our behavior soon, we could see a very rapid recovery for the first time. So instead of going to 87 to 97% extinction of all living forms as have happened before, if we stopped in the next decade and we scre- screeched to a halt at 60% loss of life on Earth instead of 87 or 9, we would see an explosion of life on Earth. And we see this happen on single farms that have been damaged through 60 years of chemical management and another you know, 60 years of over plowing and disking of the soils before that. 120 years of abuse can go away in a single season if you start to nurture biodiversity back into our soils. The explosive quality of that, that soil will then immediately start to correct the lack of flora and fauna on that land. And within a year or two, you start to see seed bank rising up from deep soil systems that were thought to be extinct, starting to return this plant life to to the soil. And then, of course, you have the owls and the voles and the mice and everybody coming back to play in this three-dimensional thing that we call life. And if we stop right now, we stop the destructive consumptive behavior, wouldn't it be fun to stay and play instead of disappear for her benefit ultimately? What if we got to stay and play? It just gives me goosebumps to think about the potential of seeing life even more abundant than we've ever seen it start to spring forth over these next couple hundred years. What if the children born in a hundred years had a life expectancy and a vigor of life within them that has literally never been seen in the 200,000 years of, of Homo sapiens sapiens? We have the potential to lay that, that fundamental foundational framework for that level of recovery, for that level of victory to be had for the biology of Mother Earth, where we come to understand ourselves with, as a pixel within this biology rather than some manifest destiny taking over the biology of the planet for our own comfort and wealth. We will adapt, whether we like it or not, to the reality of, of the loss of life. And if we do that quickly, if we adapt and transform quickly, we could participate in that life. Mm, wow. So, yeah, this is really exciting. And I was just thinking about, you know, you've spoken so much about diversity and how we tend to eat the same foods, we go to the same parks or hikes, we hang out with the same people, and it's all just the same microorganisms. And even I know so many people that eat the same food week after week after week. They go to the shops and they just buy the same food all the time. And so we are really missing that diversity, which you're talking about. So I really want everyone listening to just take home that key is just diversify, diversify, diversify. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks, the only blue light glasses backed by science. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love my blue blocking glasses and I wear them every day because they help alleviate digital eye strain, keep your hormones balanced and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. They are made in Australia, which means they are very high quality and all their glasses come in readers, prescription and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need 
in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and enter the code MELISSA at the checkout. Now let's get back to this conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on supplements. What are your thoughts? Do you think we need them because of the depletion of our soil? Do you not think we need them? What are your thoughts on supplementation? As a category, we, we have blown it on supplements. We, we, we came to kick the allopathic medicine doctor off the stool and say, well, that's all pharmaceutical stuff. And then we stepped right back up on the same stool as functional medicine doctors or naturopaths or informed consumers or herbalists or whatever we call ourselves. And we started to hand out hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month of supplements. And in so doing, we forgot to let nature do the work. We, we started to develop the same micromanagement efforts in the, in the dietary supplement world as we did in the pharmaceutical world. And so I did this for years. I, I was practicing with probiotics and digestive enzymes and high-dose vitamin C and alpha-lipoic acid and bicine. And I was just pumping my patients full of supplements, trying to correct their under, underwhelming deficiencies or underlying deficiencies, overwhelming deficiencies. And in doing so, I, I found myself, you know, always chasing the next thing. I was never really getting at the root cause, the fundamental, you know, foundational health. And that really shifted when I, when I found with my colleagues, these carbon molecules made by the bacteria and fungi. And so now instead of trying to supplement the gut, we simply are giving back the communication network between the cells to see what they want to do. And the bacteria and fungi are so smart that they not only know what they need to balance an ecosystem, they know what you need. They know what the plant life or human life growing out of that soil system needs to thrive. And it will change its biologic outputs. It will change its it, and transmute elements if needed to get the right mix of stuff into your bloodstream that you actually need. There's an intelligence there that goes far beyond you know, loading up with vitamin D and vitamin C. These compounds are trying to mimic our interaction with nature. And we fa- feel the same way about ultimately the soil supplements that we make, which is we have found a fundamentally powerful tool because we are no longer trying to micromanage the body. We're just giving back the communication network, see what happens. But in the end, we're very aware that even this as, as a completely kind of hands-off empowerment to the in, innate intelligence, the t- in completely in, endogenous capacity that you have for health and healing, we're still just mimicking the relationship that you would have had to Mother Earth if we had never destroyed her soils. And so what we're doing with our supplement company is realizing we're still you know, a chip shot trying to get you back on the green of life here. And we need to take all of that revenue and pump that back into root cause solutions. And so that's what we do. We've seeded another half a dozen companies that are looking at solving some of the root cause problems that we do from poisoning plastics to creating false economies online, start to get at those fundamental problems. But we also, of course, started a nonprofit, Farmer's Footprint, which is now growing into a larger Project Biome, which incidentally is about to launch its sister org, Project Biome Australia, outside of Sydney. And these project biomes are looking at soil, water, and air systems. And so we're we're realizing that every company should start to practice something of this variant where any profits coming from the short-term solutions need to be channeled back into long-term solutions. It is no longer even adequate to imagine 1% for the planet. 
This was a big push that happened in the U.S. and a bunch of CEOs got on board and said, one percent of our profits will go to the planet and we'll we'll invest in solar or we'll diversify our energy things or one percent for the planet when you're ninety nine percent of your your you know pro- product and and productivity is coming out of an extractive process of nature is not an, an even equation. Fifty percent would only leave us at sustainability and not recovery, and we can't sustain at our current level. We've so destroyed the ecosystem now. We're so rapidly in an, a chronic inflammatory state of destruction within our soil systems and planet. Sustainability is no longer a catch term that we can hold on to. We need true regeneration, which means you need far more than fifty percent invested and aligned with Mother Nature. And so we're really trying to envision in Project Biome not only short-term, medium-term solutions, but a fundamental change in the psychology of business leaders, regulators, lawmakers, can ultimately consumers as to how do we make everything 100% from Mother Nature? Why would we do anything that wasn't 100% to support the beauty around us? And yet almost nothing we do is 100% good. We have this negative footprint through everything we do. And, and it's you know daunting in some ways to say we have to change absolutely every behavior in regard to every single thing we do. But on the other hand, what an intriguing opportunity. What will the children of the future, when we have one in three children with autism, what is the world they're going to create? One of my favorite things about being around autistic kids in my clinic is they just simply cannot be programmed with the previous software. Like They just can't take that. And so they are going to create a different reality around them. Temple Grandin is maybe the most famous of the autism uh, professionals out there, you know, transformed the the cattle industry when she started to realize that the cattle were going through a neurologic autistic experience in feedlots, and she changed the design of of you know, protein production plants to to reduce the stress neurologically, immunologically, and ultimately psychologically on these animals, and and radically had a huge impact. And when you listen to Temple Grandin on stage, there's no question she's seeing a world that you can't see. Her umfeld, the umfeld is a great German word for her perspective or her perceived reality around her. Her umfeld is so radically different than mine or or for many of us, you know, what we were trained into. For her, it's just blindly obvious that we are marching down a radically misinformed pathway in our ideas around transportation, energy, sociology, politics, and the rest, because she simply sees the patterns there. She sees the patterns of dysfunction and can envision a future beyond that. And we need to look forward to, and in fact, empower our autistic generation here to solve for the, the problems that we created by, by creating a new reality out there, great and intention, a different future for all of us that is not imbued in the, in the constant effort for more extractive, consumptive comfort. I love what you say. I found this really fascinating, actually. When I was doing some research on you, that you don't believe in taking probiotics, which I thought was really interesting because so many people, and this is why I was saying at the start, people are so confused. They have no idea what to do. But I want to hear your thoughts on probiotics, why we should not take them. And then can you tell us about Ion Gut Health Supplement, which you created? Yeah, so probiotics are just a perfect example of what we were talking about before, where we try to do these micromanagement approaches to solve for big complex problems. Vitamin D could be another example. Vitamin D from the sunshine as it hits the sun, skin does an extraordinary array of endocrine changes, adapts our endocrine system, makes us more insulin sensitive, and yes, increases the steroid you know, hormone power that we have within us through the vitamin D molecule and all this. 
but then when we dumb that down to just vitamin D3 and we take 5,000 units or 10,000 units and we then downregulate vitamin D receptors through our, our, out our kidneys and liver and you know, skin systems, we, we start to lose and dysregulate if we're chronically on these supplements. In contrast, you know, or along those same lines, I guess, is the probiotics. So probiotics came and said, wow, you've got a deficiency of good bacteria. You need a few, you need a few good bacteria. And then they say, well, we're actually going to give you like 50 billion good bacteria. And then, of course, what they mean by that is they're going to give you 50 billion copies of the same bacteria. And that's where myself and all of us as physicians and consumers made the big mistake is we kept reading the bottle that said, you know, 100 billion CFU. Wow, that sounds like a great new microbiome for my gut. Not putting together that the three species of bacteria in there or the seven species or now some are bragging 24 species pales in comparison to the 30,000 species that an ideal gut may have or the, you know, 5 million species of fungi that are starting to be, you know, realized to be on the planet around us or the protozoa and the and parasites 300,000, 500,000 species like the, just the sheer amount of biodiversity that's supposed to be in a soil ecosystem and therefore ultimately in some form or fashion in a gut ecosystem can will only be suppressed if you're taking billions of copies of three species. You can take a look at the farming and agricultural system yet again to see the same effect. And so in the 1970s, we started to really amp up factory farming scale. And we went from the average family farm being maybe 300 acres to suddenly 3,000 acres. And now in many districts, 10,000, 30,000 acres, massive mega farms that have eliminated all of the biodiversity of, of their paycheck, first of all, instead of having cows and chickens and, and you know some pigs on the farm and then a huge farm to garden vegetable or farm to farm to market garden and then you know five or ten species of staple crops then some hay and cover crops instead of doing all that we we dumbed it down to just three species and we eliminated all that biodiversity for corn soybean alfalfa wheat and so by doing so, we destroyed the ecosystem of some 97% of the agricultural land on earth now. And we've done that in such a short period of time. At the exact same time that we launched that effort, we launched this probiotic industry out of the 1970s saying, oh, we found a few good bacteria. The downside of that is, of course, you're planting three species across the whole terrain and crowding out the, the biodiversity effect. But just as fundamentally flawed in some ways is the idea that there's good and bad bacteria. We no longer can consider there to be bad bacteria or bad viruses. There's only viruses and there's only bacteria. And they find their goodness in the ecosystem biodiversity. There is no ethic in a bacteria. A bacteria or a fungi or a virus has no ethos. It has a high level of integrity for beauty. Yeah. So I was just going to say something. So it's not about labeling good viruses, bad viruses, good bacteria, bad bacteria. What makes it good or bad is the environment in which it's in. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so what we see is that, you know, as you start to see biodiversity come in, that there's a niche within that ecosystem for every bacteria. Some examples of this would be something like Pseudomonas. Pseudomonas is one of the most feared bacteria in a bone marrow transplant unit or, or hospital ICU. They can wreak massive havoc in these ICUs and have fatal consequences very quickly. And so we came to think that Pseudomonas was bad. 
the only reason Pseudomonas is in an ICU or in a bone marrow transplant unit is it can be quite resilient against many forms of antibiotics. And so it's the last man standing and then gets blamed as if it's the problem. When in fact, if you look at a complex ecosystem of soil and the rest, Pseudomonas has a critical role in something interesting, which is detoxing radioactive material that's present in, in normal geologic systems, soil systems, and the like. And in fact, we can use those pseudomonas to clean up nuclear waste. We can use it to clean up, you know, nuclear waste sites that have, you know, been devastating the ecosystem. Pseudomonas can move in there and accelerate that cleanup process. And so it would be ridiculous to call pseudomonas bad when it has a very critical and unique niche within the survival of a planet. We, we keep blaming the weed that crops up in the middle of the farm, not realizing that the reason the weed is there is because it's the only species present right now that can give the soil back what it needs right now. If you let that weed grow up and, and do its work and then surround the whole system by opportunity for biodiversity, the next year that weed won't be there. And we see this over and over again. Farmers who have been battling weeds for 10, 15, 30 years and their neighbors are all battling these invasive weeds this one farmer in the middle of this wasteland of, of multi-drug resistant, Roundup resistant, you know, weeds suddenly goes into a biodynamic biologic relationship with its soil. And that farmer is now only caring about the carbon cycling and nutrient density and oxygenation and, and water holding capacity of its soils. Suddenly within a year, it's almost as if you put up this invisible fence around their farm. There are no weeds. We have farmers that send in, you could see on my Instagram recently of a farmer in Kentucky who for the first time, for the very first season, decided to go into a regenerative organic practice and planted a cover crop. And he's literally driving through acres of alfalfa that's grown up through his cover crop. And now he's overseeding his next crop as he harvests the alfalfa. And he's blowing his mind that for as far as he can see, there is not a single weed. It's all the intentional biodiversity that he's created. And yet, if you look across the fence line at his farmer's land, the same invasive, quote-unquote, bad weeds are there. When the soil healed, there was no more role for that, that weed to do its extraordinary effort towards biodiversity. It's the same thing in a body. It turns out when you see a yeast infection after an antibiotic exposure, that yeast infection is not your problem. Yeast infection is actually trying to reestablish a soil that the bacteria can move back into. And so if we wipe that out with an antifungal, now you're just sterile soil, and it's going to take you much longer to recover. A great study on probiotics was demonstrated in 2018, showing in mice and humans that if you took an, a probiotic after two weeks of antibiotic, there was an effort towards recovery immediately. And so in the placebo group, you could see the almost immediate and rapid climb in bacterial diversity and, and number start up within 24, 48 hours after stopping the antibiotic. Over the two weeks of the antibiotic, you lost 80% of your biodiversity, but you start recovering that instantly. And within 30 days, the whole cohort of humans or mice are back to their normal, co their normal population on a placebo, sugar pill. In contrast, if they start a, a probiotic, that same trajectory of recovery, after just three days of a probiotic, starts to head back down. And after five days, seven days of a probiotic, it has suppressed the microbiome at the same level that two weeks of antibiotics had. And so in all of these years, as I practice as a physician recommending people take their probiotic after an antibiotic, I was doing exactly the wrong thing. I was planting a monocrop across now denuded or, or tilled up soil of their gut and planting a monocrop there, and they could not recover their biodiversity. 
they would be better off having had a sugar pill. We now sell $47 billion a year of probiotics globally. This is the insanity of our effort to try to mimic or somehow micromanage the nature within us and without us. If we don't start to respect her and her magic and her capacity to bring forth life, we'll continue to fail in that mimicry. Mm, I agree. Wow, this is so powerful. I've had so many experts come on the show, many doctors come on the show, and never heard that perspective on probiotics. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'd love to hear if you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose? It doesn't have to be health-related. It could be spiritual. It could be whatever you want. But just that high school age for boys and girls, what would the book be? I could only pick one. <laughs> yep. That's that's hugely challenging because i got three books in my head right now that are dueling. So. Tell us the three. You can have three. I'm going to actually go with Australia on this one. And so Charles Massey recently wrote a book that just blows my mind every time I open it. It's called The Call of the Reed Warbler. And Charles Massey is a farmer in, in eastern Australia there who for decades was practicing conventional chemical farming and finding himself more and more impoverished by the experience at the spiritual level, at the financial level, and all of this, and, and starting to start to see the nature and beauty around him again, and starting to reconnect to that, he created a completely different path for himself. And he is now one of the real godfathers of this field of regenerative health and regenerative you know, farming on the planet. And so Charles Massey's book, I think, if, if we could just show the children how beautiful the land is, and that we've been called in for generations, for in fact millennia, we've been called into a spiritual relationship with her. If we could imbue our children with that vision, I think we would we would create a much different future. Mm, I'll link to that in the show notes. That sounds amazing. I'm going to check that out. I want to hear now how your day runs. I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day. Like, do you meditate? How do you set yourself up for success? What are your little routines throughout the day? And what's like a typical day on your plate? I know two days is probably ever the same, but can you kind of walk us through a typical day in your life? I think you just kind of nailed it. I think my success has come out of the fact that I don't let two days look alike. I, I, have, been, I have been on a full out pre- hard press over the last 10 years to make sure that I am never walking the same path twice. And this has created such wealth in my life in regards to the humans around me. I have the most extraordinary co-workers, staff, everything else that just surround me with brilliance, surround me with you know, a productivity that I would never be capable of approaching on my own. Just like, you know, over and over again, the colleagues, the friends, the, the just tribe that has gathered around me has been such an enriching experience. And I just, I could never, you know, imagine going back and doing life differently than the last decade has taken me. Previous to that, my life was very predictable. I'd wake up at, you know, between 4.30 and 6 a.m. I would, you know, rush to get some food into me and, and see if I could help out getting the kids out of bed or whatever. And then I would, you know, rush off to the hospital and I'd spend 12 hours or, you know, not unusually 36, 40 hours on a continuous shift, you know, working overnight and everything else in the hospital system, and then be back and sleep and reconnect with kids, read them to bed, and 
and then start over again. And, and through that effort, I became so lonely. I was so isolated from community, from connection as any sense of nature. I had forgotten I was human. I was, I had become a simple jockey for the pharmaceutical industry and I was a technician, not human. I, I might as well have been an AI robot delivering healthcare because I was losing my humanity by the day and I was majorly depressed. And it was through the, through that desperation, the, the, you know, kind of suicidal state that I was in by 2010, that brought me to that breaking point where I was willing to sacrifice everything. And, and I was willing to walk away from 17 years of higher education and medical degrees and subspecialties and all that just to say, I just have to do something fundamentally different. And I started this tiny little clinic in a rural Virginia town of 550 people in a food desert and decided if I could treat, teach nutrition here and I could find a curriculum that worked there, then maybe I could be part of a, a new revolution of health in this, in this country. And it was a pipe dream of an idea, ridiculous if anybody really sat and listened to what I thought it would be capable of doing. And of course, I completely undershot what I thought it was capable of doing. I, I didn't realize that my patients would be my best teachers and my best friends. I didn't realize that my colleagues that would come out of the, the non-academic environment would be the most brilliant people I'd ever met. I didn't realize that the, the integrity of, of humanity would completely trump any ethical belief system or pedagogic belief system or you know whatever kind of science you want to put around it paled in comparison to just the sheer integrity of people that want to create a different future. And that's the tribe that I live in. And so when I wake up in the morning, I literally no longer have a to-do list, which is a little trippy because I used to live and die by those. And now I just wake up with a bit of curiosity. It was a sense of, I wonder what's going to happen today. Because when I look at my calendar and, you know, I have interviews and podcasts and, you know, board meetings and you know staff meetings and creative meetings and all these things on my calendar they're just placeholders for actual human interaction and now i no longer have you know a, a to-do list going into a meeting i expect something new to happen i expect to see something brilliant come out of the humans that i'm going to interact with and if i tune into that instead of an agenda on on the meeting i do find you know remarkable new discoveries every day and i feel like i get richer more intelligent, if you will, certainly more conscious through that human journey. And so I, I, in a weird way, I have no answer to your question other than start your day with surrender and try to end your day with surrender again, because I will beat the crap out of myself for the things I didn't achieve today. I will beat the crap out of myself out of the patience I didn't have today or the creativity I didn't give myself time for or the exercise that I didn't you know, or self-care that I didn't do you got to surrender all of that at the end of the day as well as you as you fall into sleep in the astral planes there and start to go into that dream state of what tomorrow could bring if you start to imprint the past upon the tomorrow you're again going to fail to realize a transformational event you're going to simply repeat and so surrender at the beginning of the day and surrender at the end of the day and between those two bookends you're going to find a lot of miracles and a lot of beauty and humanity Absolutely. I love it. Surrender. It's so important. So thank you for sharing that. Have you ever seen a program or a product and thought, whoa, I wish I created that myself? That's exactly how I felt when I discovered Gabby Bernstein's Spirit Junkie Masterclass. It's an eight-week online program that helps you unlock your soul work, make an impact 
and an income. It infuses soulful business and spirituality. It's seriously epic. In the program, you will get crystal clear on what you're here to do and be in the world. You will learn ways to own your confidence once and for all and move the blocks to fulfilling your life's purpose, plus so much more. And for the first time ever, I've decided to partner with Gabby and mentor you along your eight-week journey. I get DMs and emails daily asking if I do mentoring anymore. And I'm constantly saying no, but to be honest, I absolutely love it. And now you can get my eyes over your business and life. And this is the only way how. Plus, when you sign up for Spirit Junkie Masterclass with me, you not only get mentored by me the entire time, you will also get my social media mini masterclass to skyrocket your social media. Enrollments are only open once a year and I won't be offering this mentoring again. So you need to get in before October 10th. If you're in, head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash spirit junkie for more information. I cannot wait to mentor you and hold your hand during this process of you unlocking your full potential and creating an income and an impact in the world. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I hope so. What is one thing that we can all do today for our health? Get outside. What's one thing that we can all do today for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Hug more people. And what is one thing that we can all do today for more love? See the beauty. I would like to explain that one. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. I have been struggling for the last, you know, 10 years for sure. But I think really through this whole lifetime, I've been struggling to understand love. And I've looked at my own journey and the many heartbreaks I've had in relationships. I, I look at the parenting journey and my kids now 22 and 20 years old and very, both very successful in their own rights and very unique human beings and proficient adults and everything else. And, and there's, I wonder if I even know how to really love them because I can't see all of them. I never could. I, I get these glimpses of the the majesty in both of my children, but I can't really wrap my head around that. And so I've always had this sneaking suspicion that I don't know how to love. I don't know how to really do that thing completely. I don't know if I even know the definition of love in the end. And no matter how many books I read on the five types of love and all of this and all of the words in Eskimo for love, and like you can read all of that. You, and I, now living in Hawaii, aloha means hello and I love you. And you go by and all of these things like there's so many references you know the beatles for god's sakes are trying to tell us what love is and so in that journey i was developing a real almost insecurity within myself a fear that i didn't know what love was and i actually lectured on this like basically begging for the answer and this past year one of my colleagues and best friends patrick gentempo a brilliant chiropractor and philosopher has been on an extraordinary journey with his wife, understanding plant intelligence and the intelligence of, of the ethers around us and, and all of the entities and angels and all of this far out stuff they've been diving into hard. And he keeps getting messages from the other side of the veil for specific people. And I was so blessed last year when he called up and said, I, I've received a message that's, that I'm supposed to tell you, but I really want to 
tell you this in person. So it took me about six weeks before I could fly over to Utah and, and connect with him. And we'd spent, you know, 24 hours together and played some music and hung out and did some hikes. And then right before I was going back to the airport, we went out to breakfast together and we we're sitting at this table. And he hadn't mentioned it at all, the, the, the conversation that or the reason that I'd shown up for throughout that 24 hours. And as I sat down, he began to, into this with the sentence, tell Zach that humanity has made a mistake in its belief that the fabric of everything is love. And I got goosebumps all over my body at that moment. And I knew that whatever was going to come out of his mouth at the next moment was literally the most important truth that I had been chasing in this lifetime, maybe many lifetimes before. And I was just like in the most incredibly heightened state of anticipation for that next sentence. And as soon as he said it, I started to bawl. And I just cried uncontrollably in this restaurant <laughs> morning. I just couldn't, I was, it was the most, you know, one of the most unleashed cries I've ever had in my life. And what he said was that the fabric of everything is beauty. And in seeing the beauty, you will experience love. It just solved the entire equation instantly for me. Because I knew I knew beauty. And I knew deeply that I could even see the beauty within myself. And in that moment, I knew that love was not the fabric of anything. Love is not a thing. Love is not something that I need to generate or need to focus a beam of to everybody else. Love is the experience that I'm going to have in seeing the beauty of Mother Nature, seeing the beauty of the smile on my daughter's face, seeing the, the lines in my son's hands as he sets down his fencing sword. You know, whatever it is, like these little details in my children that I can start crying, I'm sorry, but um, these little details that the human mind will capture of that parenting journey. You know, the first time you see your child, the first time you see that kid touch another human being with intention and kindness, these little glimpses of them, there's such extraordinary, exquisite beauty in there. And that solves for what is love. Love is the experience of being witness to their beauty. And at that moment, I just knew that I loved my kids so thoroughly. And I had never failed in that love for them. I had never failed to love my wife and children of the, and, and mother of those children. And even in our divorce and her discovery of her soulmate, as I walked that journey with her, I found out I could love her even in that because there was beauty in what she was experiencing, the truth she was telling me during that time. And I realized that in finding my wife of today, I could see her and recognize her from a great distance because of, I, I was recognizing beauty that my eyes had been blinded to before. And she could see the beauty within me without me opening my mouth. And we started on a journey into love without the heady you know, belief that we were going to create this love or we had to like make sure we were in love enough. It, w it became this, this instantaneous realization of that there was always an easy access to love. There was never a deficiency of love because it was not a thing. It was an experience. And I've had that experience. And I look forward to having it more intensely with every human being I meet. And here's another moment. And I can look into your eyes uh, and experience another soul that's held space through the incredible effort you've done to create this platform for communication this platform of, of education, this platform of human fellowship, 
you've created and you're giving me opportunity to show me something of myself. I mean, that you've, you've shown me such respect in letting me run my mouth for a period of time and never have a succinct answer to anything. But I just know that you can see something of me because I know that I can see something of you. And so we can love each other right now for having never met before, but have fully experienced something of love and the beauty that we can see in each other. And if that's the way we live each day, we will be very rich. For those watching this, you'll see we're both a bit of teary tears coming down our face. That was really beautiful, Zach. Thank you so much. And one of the things that I just loved out of that little sermon was that, you know, we have to look at and find the beauty because there's beauty in everything, in every bit of nature, in every human being we interact with. There is beauty and it's our job to look for it. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was such a beautiful way to end. Is there anything else that you want to share? Is there any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to ask you about? Oh, I think I, I might be wrung out here. I think, you know, the, I hope that each of you realize how miraculous you are in listening to this. And I hope that each of you come to appreciate that you showed up right now. Uh, we have 7.8 billion people. And that'd be interesting if that was a bunch of human beings, homo sapiens sapiens. But it gets much more interesting if 7.8 billion souls showed up right now behind those human beings, within and animating those human beings. Why did you show up right now? This is the tipping point. This is the worst time of human history. No, it's the best time of human history because we are ready for a massive transformation. And you showed up right now. And so as we start to explore the future, I would invite you to, I hope, find silence in everything that you just heard today. And instead of trying to remember anything that I, me or Melissa have said in the last hour, instead, remember the reverence and the silence that maybe it engendered in you. And you took a pause and maybe something caught your breath and maybe something caused a screeching halt in, your, in the repetitive thoughts in your mind or your self-doubt. In that halt, in that silence, we have the opportunity to start to envision and in fact rehearse a future for all of those that are going to become awake and all of those that are going to participate in that new reality. And so in the silence, let the creative juices do their work and create something truly de novo, truly new to your experience and to your appreciation of beauty. And then let's start to communicate that together. I'd be fascinated if you would give Melissa feedback as to what happens to you in the next week, as you find out that the fabric of everything is beauty. How are you going to see your kids differently? How are you going to see your spouses? How are you going to see your career differently? Which career are you going to pick now, realizing that your career maybe is not taking you towards beauty and it's taking you towards a soul-crushing emptiness? What are you going to do and how long is it going to take you to make that choice for transformation? The world is pausing right now. We have a pandemic of possibility now. There is no old normal that we should or can return to. And so let's make sure we do something radical in these next steps. Let's not take the next steps towards a military state. Let's not take steps to take away more civil liberties. Let's do something radical and reconnect to a nature that knows how to heal everything. 
Absolutely. Nature is so intelligent and resilient as we spoke about before. So thank you so much, Zach. This has been amazing. I am a huge believer in service and you give so much and you have given so much to all of the listeners today. So I want to know how we can give back to you. What can we do to give back to you today? Ah, wow. I mean, just seeing me as a gift, but I would love for your community. We really have a desperate need to create a global community around shared purpose. We can no longer have a nationalistic you know, belief or view on, on success. If we don't start thinking as a homo sapiens sapiens species level organism, if we don't start to express that sort of hyperintelligence that we're capable of when we all connect, I fear our time is too short and we will not transform quick enough. But if you will look for opportunities to connect with me or connect to others who are on this path towards nature and, and towards recovery and regeneration, I will be in deep gratitude to you. If you don't know how to connect to that crew, you can certainly just go to my education site, which is my name, ZachBushMD.com. We've got a lot of free education and insights on different aspects. Podcasts on a lot of different variety of stuff are, are exemplified there. But we're launching a new you know, free education platform on Instagram and social media where we're trying to, to, I've got a GoFundMe program going right now. If you go to my Instagram and click through there, or if you go to my website, you'll be able to find it there. But the GoFundMe is a project to bring forth a group of scientific researchers and writers to bring free education online. There's been too many paywalls and, you know, special interests around integrative medicine and this new understanding of human and biologic health. And so if you want to support that program, we're raising $250,000 to hire a whole team of researchers and writers to start bringing out weekly content to the world to expand on what you've heard today. I don't have enough time and bandwidth to bring all the stuff in my head out on podcasts. And what's in my head is just a fraction of the important new science that's emerging from genomics and nature and everything else. So the GoFundMe program for the the global health education platform would be wonderful to support. Of course, our nonprofit work in Australia is launching, as I mentioned earlier, with Project Biome Australia. That website you know, should be coming up in, in by September or something like that. In the meantime, you can go to farmersfootprint.us and take a look at our direct-to-farm projects and get a glimpse of something like Non-Toxic Neighborhoods. It's now uh, making a great debut in Australia and New Zealand with Kim Conti has developed a whole toolkit for your municipality to ban Roundup in city parks, school systems, streetscapes, and the like to bring organic solutions into that environment. So all of these ways to engage would be much appreciated. Stay tuned. ZachBushMD.com will also be bringing you new opportunities to engage. We have a philanthropic fund called the Next Pandemic Fund that's launching soon. We have a big impact investment for-profit fund for, for qualified investors in the near future. So, so many ways for you to engage. If you, if you lose track of these opportunities, you can always return to ZachBushMD and look for constant updates there. We have a newsletter that you can sign up for there that should keep you informed as these new opportunities arise. And we can link to everything in the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to go and check any of what Zach has said, then we'll just link to all of that in the show notes for you. This has been amazing and so beautiful. Your wisdom that you have shared, your heart, 
you know, you have just showed up so honestly, so vulnerably, so openly, and I want to honor you for that. Like, I really appreciate that. And for all the work that you're doing in the world, you are such a beautiful trailblazing light. And I'm so grateful for everything that you're out there doing and for taking the time to share with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Melissa, for the fellowship and the opportunity to be together. What a beautiful human being, not only so full of knowledge and wisdom, such a big, beautiful heart. I can't believe he got so emotional at the end. It was just so beautiful. What a divine man. Holy moly. I got so much out of today's episode. If you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get out of each episode. And for everything that Dr. Zach Bush and I mentioned in today's show, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 358. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. I think every single human being could benefit from this episode, so please share it with them. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.